Apple Fitness Plus launches. I'll share my thoughts on it. I've got an announcement to make about CES 2021. Lots of streaming apps finally make it to lots of different places. Plus, your tech questions answered. What is going on? My name is Rich Demuro, and this is Rich on Tech, the podcast where I talk about the tech stuff that I think you should know about. It's also the place where I answer the questions you send me. Yes, I'm the tech reporter at KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles and also for Next Star TV stations nationwide. It's been interesting because, you know, KTLA was uh, purchased by a new company that I used to work for, actually, which is kind of interesting, uh, back in my early days of my career. And, you know, we own a whole bunch of TV stations. And so they're starting to notice that I do this little report and they're starting to use them. And so it's really been fun to kind of see my stuff just popping up in different places across the U.S. We used to be on a bunch of stations with Tribune, our old company, and we're still on a lot of those stations, but now it's like, you know, every station has access, which is kind of fun. So it's been really good expanding, you know, the reach and just kind of doing what I do. And what, you know, my thesis on all of this stuff, my mission statement has always been sort of helping people understand technology, um, you know, in an easy way and helping the everyday person. So, you know, there's every one of us has to use technology, whether we like it or not. That's just the reality of the world in 2020. So you have your phone and it really all stems from the phone. You have your phone and you kind of say, oh, the smart light looks kind of cool. One of those uh, Amazon Echoes looks kind of cool. And next thing you know, you've got all this stuff and you're just trying to figure it out. And, you know, then you have the apps and, you know, privacy. And so I just try to every one of my reports, I just try to be helpful. And uh, I hope that comes through because that's, that's really what my mission is. I can't believe that we are done, almost done with 2020. I mean, I just can't believe it. I, I can remember sitting in a van at CES doing the podcast at the beginning of the year in 2020 in Las Vegas. And literally, I can remember it like it's yesterday. And here we are a year later, almost a year later, and... Honestly, this is the year that sort of didn't happen because we've been quarantined and, and just, you know, not leaving our home and this and that. So, wow, I just can't believe it. But holidays are here. I'm excited. This is the last show of 2020, which is pretty wild. Be back next year. But let me, um, and I hope you're, you know, hope you're staying safe during the holidays. I know all my plans are canceled. I was supposed to go to New Jersey. That is not happening. Um then we were supposed to go to Arizona. That's not happening. We are just staying put because it just seems like the thing to do this year. And honestly, I'll, I'll enjoy the time, the downtime and just sit. I'm going to finally install Big Sur on my computer and uh, hopefully get organized once again, you know, kind of reset for the new year. And the new year is going to kick off pretty strong because uh, I have an announcement to make. I will be working pretty closely with CES 2021 this year or next year because I am going to be one of their hosts for the digital show. So we've talked a lot about CES in this podcast because it's kind of the biggest event of the year. I get so many of my story ideas. I get so many of my videos, my social media videos. I get I mean, I get so much from CES every year. B-roll, like I have in my Google Photos, you know, I'm sitting here editing stuff for this for the segments, and you know, I just go into my CES video. I'm like, oh, I have a I have a shot of a a Ring video doorbell, or I have a shot of a microphone, or I have a shot of that smart toilet, and it's become sort of a little a place where I just get stuff that I need. And you know, anyway, 
So CES 2021 is going to be their first all digital show happening in, happening in January. It is virtual, so no need to go to Las Vegas this year. They're going to have uh, over uh, 100 conference sessions. They're going to have more than 1,000 exhibitors from around the world. Uh, AI, 5G, digital health, smart cities, vehicle tech. And then they're going to have this thing called the CES Digital Venue. And this is in partnership with Microsoft, and this is what I'll be doing. And it's uh, basically kind of a, a live anchor desk where you'll see myself and a couple other folks, and I'm very excited about who those other folks are. Um, but we will be kind of navigating the show, doing you know tech updates, interviews, all kinds of stuff. I haven't even heard like everything I'm doing, but it sounds awesome. And here's who I get to play. I say play with, but work with. Okay, it's not it's not play. It's work. Um, I Justine, which I love. I mean, we we actually did CES together many years ago, and we've been uh, you know we stayed in touch ever since. Uh, my friend Brian Tong who, you know, we worked at CNET together. He is doing a great job uh, on his own with his own YouTube channel. I mean, just really, really doing a nice job, but it's a lot of work. I watch him work and it's, well, I don't like sit there and watch him edit, but I talk to him very often on text and, you know, believe me, he's he's working hard. And then Naomi Kyle, um, who I don't know personally, but I'm aware of, and um, she is a actress, producer, does a lot of stuff in the video game world. So it'll be nice to have her perspective as well, because that's a huge part of this. So you've got four of us and it's just kind of cool. So we will be hosting CES 2021 virtually. Um, and I'm excited for it. Last day for uh, media registration, complimentary media registration is January 8th. And CES 2021 takes place January 11th through 14th. I know, I believe that I'm uh, I start on like the, I think it's the 8th maybe or the 9th just to get prepped. But it's going to be fun. And then CES returns to Las Vegas January 5th through 8th, 2022. So mark your calendars, uh, January 11th through 14th. You'll see me uh, online. And if you, uh, you know, see me, wave hi. So exciting because everyone was asking me like, what are you doing for CES? And I couldn't really tell them for a while because I was, you know, the contracts hadn't been signed and all that stuff. But now that it's a done deal and thank you to KTLA, by the way, for letting me do this because of course, um, you know, they had to approve. So that was exciting. All right. Uh, Tony McDowell says, is there an address program that you can input once and it updates the address book, email, et cetera. Also, when you delete a name, you only have to do it once, Tony. You know, Tony, I have been looking for something like this for a long time, and there's not really, there's not really a one size fits fits all with this sort of thing. There used to be something I loved back in the day called Plaxo, which, if you've been in tech for a little bit, that might ring a bell. It was this program that was sort of spammy, but it was great. You would upload your whole address book to this program and it would send an email to all your contacts and say, hey, can you update, you know, just take a look and make sure everything looks right. And it was brilliant. And then if someone, uh, I think there was like a opt-in that if you just said, hey, you know, keep my stuff updated at all times, you could go into your own app and update your info and everyone else who's using Plaxo on the network would also see your latest info. I thought it was brilliant, but people just thought it was spammy and it never really took off. And I think Comcast bought it at some point. And, you know, of course, it doesn't really exist anymore. But I have been testing something new called Sunshine Contacts. And this is very similar. 
it's very similar to what Plaxo was trying to do, maybe in a less um, invasive way. They don't send out automatic updates, but they you can send like a, a link to a friend or a contact and say, hey, would you mind just taking a look at this and updating your stuff? Now, this app is actually from the former uh, CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Meyer. She uh, came up, I don't know if she came up with it, but she's kind of behind this. And it's been interesting on my iPhone now, um, the last I checked when I went into there, it somehow goes through all your emails and like finds the contacts. So now I have 23,876 contacts imported. <laughs> 15,936 total without duplicates. 14,912 enhanced by sunshine. So I have enough contacts now to last me 17 lifetimes and it's interesting what they do when they, you know, you go into a contact and it kind of uses, I don't know, some sort of, I don't know. I don't know how it does it, but it gives you the info, you know, when you tap into the contact and then not only does it give you the info, but it gives you like some other info you have and then it marks it as obsolete somehow. And some of it's pretty good. So anyway, it's not perfect. It's interesting. It's, it's opt or it's beta right now. So you have to have an invitation. I don't know if, can I invite people? I don't even, I don't even see a way to invite people. But you can, you know, I, it took me a little bit to, to get on there, but uh, it, it shouldn't take too long. But anyway, that's the one I've been testing. There's other ones like um, there's EverContact. I mean, there's a couple of uh, things like that, but I found that, you know, full contact, I just found that not many of them work that well. And honestly, the thing that I think works the best is really just Siri. If you connect your email to, um, you know, your iPhone, like if you log into their email, app, it will search sort of like the signatures in your email and kind of put, you know, Siri kind of uses all that information so that when you look someone up, it will tell you, you know, hey, here's the information we think we have for them based on, you know, your previous, it, it even is smart enough to know that like the last time they texted you, it came from this number. So that's the number that it, it kind of puts at the top of the list when you go to call them. I mean, it's pretty smart and it's something that's not very nuanced in the iPhone. Like people don't really, or not very apparent. It's very nuanced. So people don't realize that that's happening, but I think that's a, uh, a really cool little feature. And now this Sunshine Contacts, I don't know because it's updated all my contacts, my address book, and I don't know if there's any going back at this point. I mean, I have so many contacts in here. I don't even know what to do with myself. Oh my gosh. Okay. Speaking of Apple, uh, Apple Fitness Plus launched this week. And I was an early tester, which is kind of cool. So they sent me, uh, they actually had to send me, well, I don't know if I can know, can I really talk about that? But anyway, they had to send me the software early to try it out. So it was cool. It was great. I really have, I've grown to love it. And it's now part of my life, Apple Fitness Plus. Now, the thing to know about it is it requires an Apple Watch. So these are fitness classes that are on your iPhone, your iPad, or Apple TV, but you have to have an Apple Watch to sort of unlock it and a subscription, which is $10 a month, which I think is very reasonable. You can also bundle that with one of their Apple, you know, subscription bundle plans. What is it called? Apple One. And so to get it, you have to update all of your apps. So I sat there and I like updated my Apple TV and the iPad and the Apple Watch and the iPhone, and it showed up on all of them. It's 14.3 if you're keeping track. And with the Apple TV, it's kind of cool because it, it works on any Apple TV, even if it's not yours, which is really interesting. So let's say you were at an Airbnb and they had an Apple TV. 
when you have your when you open up the fitness app on that Apple TV, it kind of scans the room for any Apple watches. It sees yours, and then it says, "Okay, do you want to log in?" And you just tap, you know, yes on your watch, and it kind of links up. It handshakes with the TV somehow. And I thought that was really cool because if I had an Airbnb, like if I was an owner of one, I would that would push me over to put like a you know an Apple TV in there because you know, anyone who comes there with an Apple watch could get a quick workout in, which is kind of cool. So the workouts, uh, across all kinds of things, it's not, you know, it's not a one trick pony. It's not just like one type of workout. They do it all hit dance, strength, core. I mean, it's all there and it's great. They always have three instructors, which I really like. So one is doing the typical one's doing a beginner. One's doing an advanced. The instructors are really cool. They're all kind of you know, very Apple-y, you know, excited and enthusiastic and just a, a nice mix of folks from different backgrounds and different abilities as well, which is really cool. Because, um, you know, some of these trainers in these programs that, you know, they're all these like young fit people and, you know, not everyone's like that. So it's kind of nice that they have a, a very wide range of folks, which is really, really nice. Um, the best part is really kind of the on-screen data that it gets from your Apple Watch. I've grown to love that. And, you know, if you have an Apple Watch, you know it's all about closing those those um, circles or those rings, rather. And so for me, pretty much every day I'm trying to do that unless I'm, I'm knowingly taking a day off from any sort of exercise. And so like yesterday, I went on a little run and then I came back home and I was like, oh, let me do 10 minutes of strength and then a five-minute cool down. And so it was great. Uh, there's no live classes, so that's a big difference between this and Peloton, but I don't really think that's missing. Like, I don't really, I'm still going to stick with the Peloton for the spin classes, at least for now, but I do like the Apple Fitness Plus for everything else. So I love the strength. I love the hit. I love the core and the mindful cooldowns have been really nice too. And new classes come out on Mondays. So I don't think that people are going to flock over from Peloton to this, but I, I, it makes me very happy that I did not buy a Peloton bike. I'm glad I bought a, you know, a generic bike that works with all services because if I feel like it, I can use the Apple Fitness Spin Class or I can use the Peloton Spin Class or if something better comes along tomorrow, I can use that as well. So for all those reasons, I think that Apple Fitness Plus is, is really cool. If you have an Apple Watch, you definitely have to try it out. You get... Uh, a month free if you, you know, for all users, three months free if you bought an Apple Watch after September 15th through March 31st. And I don't know what to say except for the fact that I just love this. I love having another option. I love the fact that they have 10-minute classes because 10 minutes to me, I mean, like the other night, I was literally done with my day and I just, I was waiting for my wife to get out of a meeting and I was just like, you know what, let me just do a 10-minute class with the kids. And so we just sat there, we all picked up some weights and uh, we just did like a 10-minute strength class, and it felt so good. And then I was like, oh, let me do one more. And so then I did like a 10-minute core class. And so I just got 20 minutes of working out, you know, basically in a day that I knew I wasn't going to. So I really think that it's a, a really cool addition to the portfolio. Of course, it keeps people in the Apple ecosystem. And, uh, you know, but as long as they're putting out good stuff, why not? Eric says, hey, Rich, I enjoy your podcast. I appreciate your knowledge. Any suggestions for a music manager app for Android? As you know, Google Play Music went away, put people into YouTube music, and I'm not so far enjoying the user experience with that app. Any suggestions on other apps or services that would work? I do have a small catalog of purchased music I would need to store in the cloud with the service as well. Thank you, Eric in Vasalia, California. Is that like the onions, Vasalia? 
So I've gotten this question from a lot of people. In fact, when I get this many questions from people, I'm like, do I need to do a segment on KTLA? I feel like it's a small use case scenario of these folks that are still out there that are sort of um, using their own music collection of MP3s on their phone. I don't think that's a very um, popular thing to do right now. Obviously, people have moved to streaming, but I think for you know some of the more techier folks or the people who have built up a collection that they like, they still want to stick with it and not pay the ten dollars a month, which I'm totally fine with. But uh, when it so I, for most of the folks, I've just been recommending you know use the YouTube Music because it plays your own files and it's got I believe it still has the cloud element. Um, I know Spotify also plays local files, but I don't think you can upload them to the cloud. So I think there's two, um, two ways or a couple ways you can do this. I think one is, um, you can do Plex. I think Plex is probably the best way to do this. And what Plex does is it kind of, you just make your own server and it's specifically created for music, movies, TV shows, photos. It's just everything. And so I think that that's probably the way to do it is just, just get Plex. And, you know, there is a, there is like a, a pricing. Uh, let's see, where's the pricing on this thing? If you have to go premium. So I don't know how much it is. Let's see. It doesn't really, I hate websites that don't just have like a pricing. Like I have to create an account to see what the price is. Come on, Plex. Let me just see how much it is. Let's see. Plex pricing. You know, I like these websites. They literally just say pricing and you can just like there's literally not a place that I can see how much it costs. Oh, here we go. $5 a month, $40 for the year. I mean, or $120 for the lifetime. I would do the $40 for the year. Right now, they're doing a 48-hour sale for 20% off a lifetime. I wouldn't probably wouldn't go lifetime because you might change your mind, but a yearly is definitely a better deal than monthly. Or maybe just start with monthly and see if you like it and then go to the yearly. But I would just do Plex. I think that's going to... Um, I think that's going to be the best case for what you need. I think you could probably build your own tracks in SoundCloud, but I'm not sure that that's really, I'm not sure that's the spirit of what they do. Maybe it is. I mean, maybe that would work, but it doesn't seem like it would. Samsung is getting ready for 2021. They have already put out a blog post about their um, new phones that they're going to concentrate on. And we've already heard rumors that they're going to launch their new phones early in January versus February, which is pretty interesting. And I think that that's a good idea because, you know, people are really buying the iPhone 12 a lot, I think, or considering it. And with the Samsungs, um, you know, not so much. Like I feel like, yes, they did fine with the S20 lineup, but it was not the breakout crazy hit that they wanted. And the reason for that is that the S20 Ultra was really kind of a bomb. And it's really sad because that's an amazing device, but it just, the camera never lived up to the expectations. And I would argue that the S20 FE was fantastic. The Note 20 Ultra was amazing. But just that's not the phone for everyone. That's not a, a mainstream mass phone, but it did pretty well, but it's just not the phone for everyone. So when I'm sitting here as a tech person recommending you a phone, the S20 Ultra was just not something that I recommended to people. Now, the S20 FE, the fan edition, I did, but it doesn't, it's not the high-end phone that people, you know, everyone wants. So looking forward to 2021 with Samsung, what do we have? So a couple things from this blog post that they put out, um, 
I thought this was really interesting. They are, uh, Samsung Galaxies will be more than ready to meet the demands of the video obsessed in 2021. When it comes to advancement in this space, it's going to be an epic new year. I love the sound of that because I am all about video on my smartphone. And that's a primary reason why I use the iPhone because it just, you can't match it. It's just the video is so good on there. It's just unbelievable. And editing on there is so amazing. Uh, Our engineers and developers have been expanding our on-device AI, enabling our devices to continually learn from daily activities uh, to take better pictures, maximize battery life, optimize displays, and more. They talk about privacy. Um, Number one goal is and always will be to create experiences users can trust knowing we'll treat their data with the utmost care every step of the way. So that's interesting. It's kind of sounding Apple-y. Um, and then they talk about expanding their portfolio of foldables. And we're going to never stop trying to outdo ourselves. So be on the lookout for super intelligent pro-grade camera and video capabilities in 2021. And here's a line that had everyone going nuts. We've also been paying attention to people's favorite aspects of the Galaxy Note experience and are excited to add some of its most well-loved features to other devices in our lineup which led a lot of people to think that they're going to get rid of the Note and just put the stylus in the um, S21 Ultra, but who knows? I mean, they may do that. We'll, we'll see. But I'm excited. Reading that blog post, uh, if they can get me to switch to Android, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm, I was ready to switch with the S20 Ultra and the Note. The Note was just too big for me. And I just, it was just, I don't need the stylus per se. But if they build that into the S20 and that smaller form factor, slightly smaller, I'm all for it. And it would be tough to move from iPhone and the Apple Watch, but I would probably um, come up with somewhere in the middle where I maybe still wear the Apple Watch, but use the, um, the Android. But we'll see. Ah, you hear me drinking my tea. All right, should we check a voicemail? Let's check a voicemail. Uh, if you haven't left a voicemail for the show, you can do so at uh, richontech.tv slash podcast. There's a little microphone in the lower right-hand corner, and you can leave a message just like Jeff Thomas did. Hey, Rich. Uh, this is Jeff Thomas. Out of, uh, I listen to your show, your podcast. I just have one simple to make. That's it. Otherwise, I really like uh, that you give and Glad to know that you and Brian Tong are good friends because you guys, in terms of how you just keep it real for everyone. Stay safe, man. All right. So clearly some technical difficulties with that um, voicemail, and I'm, I'm not sure what happened there. It could have been a connection thing or whatever, but... Uh, I kind of heard, I, I think he said, I have one comment to make that I think he said, you're amazing. That's just what I heard. So <laughs> I'm going to take that, uh, but I don't know, but it just sounded like he just, you know, Jeff is a fan of the show. Just wanted to, uh, you know, leave a voicemail and voice that. And I love it. So thanks Jeff for, um, leaving the voicemail. Try it again. I'm not sure. I tried doing this on like Chrome on my iPhone. It definitely is a little quirky. It seems to work best on a desktop web browser to, to hit the microphone, but I mean, you would think that, you know, since everyone's using phones and especially with the iPhone and this is, I don't want to get into the differences between iPhone and Android, but it always, everything's a little more complicated because when you're in a browser on the iPhone, it's always like a browser inside of a browser inside of an app. If you're getting to somewhere from an app, it's very complicated. But anyway, that's the way the architecture is set up most of the time on the iPhone. So I feel like that has something to do with it, but 
like when I tried to do this from Instagram, it was like, it was a web browser inside Instagram from a link. It just was weird. So anyway, thank you, Jeff, for the uh, voicemail. Uh, I'll do a question as well since, um, you know, that was sort of a, just a comment. Uh, Steve Brown says, first off, I really enjoy your podcast. Uh, really appreciate what you do for us in the tech world. I watch you on KTLA, enjoy your podcast. I've been an Apple across the board for decades, but never had a MacBook Pro. I'm looking at getting a new M1 MacBook Pro, but had a few questions. I'm a photographer with 30 years and do a lot of photo editing with Pixelmator Pro. I started dabbling in video using iMovies. I might upgrade to Final Cut. My question is, do I need 16 gigs of RAM or should I be good with the 8? I've read conflicting articles online stating that with the powerful uh, M1 chip, 16 isn't needed for what I would do. I don't mind spending the extra 200, but if it wouldn't make a difference, I'd rather throw the money into some extra memory or use external drives. I'd appreciate and respect your feedback, Steve from Long Beach. All right, Steve, uh, definitely go with the 16 gigs. I have not personally tested the M1, but everything I've seen from other uh, tech folks, they love it. It's fast. It's amazing. Apple, of course, applied their magic and did a great job. But I come from the world that you can never have enough memory. And yes, a lot of the new apps will be written and optimized for this computer, but some of them may not be. And... I would just, especially if you're telling me you're getting into videos, I think that, um, yeah, you'll be able to edit little simple things on your, you know, with just eight gigs, you know, I could edit little videos on my iPhone, but I think if you, you know, it, this is a, this is a, a MacBook that you're going to keep for at least three to four years, I'm guessing. So, you know, if not more. And so why, you know, you're going the, the 1100 bucks, go the extra 200, right? So that's what I'd recommend. Always, always, always get the extra. When you buy a laptop, you, you got to max out to, the, to your budget, the memory and the storage, because you will always need more of both of those things. That is what I recommend. We got a little bit of news this week. Uh, good news if you're in the streaming world. And I just, I, I got to say, I'm seeing what's happening here and I, I'm, I'm very much liking it. And I'm not sure if it's due to like the whole antitrust, you know, crackdowns that have been going on or these tech companies are just realizing that they can't be a moat but I like what's going on and I'm, I'm seeing it more and more and two announcements this week number one HBO Max coming to Roku and they made this announcement and you know they said just in time for Wonder Woman 84 1984 which is going to be on uh, HBO Max streaming on Christmas Day I asked my wife I'm like do you think we'll be able to watch that on Christmas Day she's like I don't know but definitely the day after if I can't get to it on Christmas Day. Um, but there you have it. HBO Max on Roku. This was a, a so, you know really a, a big missing piece on Roku. So many people emailed me saying, Rich, where is HBO Max? And it's confusing because like the old HBO app was on there and it's just, you know, not a good thing. So it took them, what, six months to make a deal? And this is because these platforms like Roku... And, you know, I, I would say Roku and Fire TV probably have a lot of, of um, what's the word, the power when you, negotiation power, because they are the two biggest. And so it's no longer, oh, I'm HBO Max and I just published my app to Roku. Oh, it doesn't seem to work that way anymore. <laughs> Maybe back in the day it did, but it doesn't seem to work that way. Now you have to be approved and you have to be negotiated in. And that means that Roku wants a little cut of the money because HBO Max, you know, if they're just on the platform and, 
you know, if any, if everyone just used Roku to access these apps and Roku didn't get a little cut of the, you know, action, it, Roku would not survive because their business is not selling those streaming sticks. Their business is advertising. And so they get a little bit of uh, commission. I don't know what, what they get. I mean, that's all, that's all private, but they do get something, whether it's a cut of someone who signs up to HBO Max through Roku or when they stream, they get like a little portion of, you know, some ad time on there or they get, you know, some free movies for their HBO uh, or their Roku channel. There's something, you know, there's some kind of deal that's made. So anyway, the deal's been made and we all know that uh, HBO Max is going to be showing all the Warner Brothers films next year on for 30 days on uh, HBO Max. That's going to be amazing. I mean, what a good year to be an HBO Max subscriber to get at least, I mean, in this article, in the the Roku blog, one, uh, Matrix 4, Dune, Suicide Squad, and Space Jam, A New Legacy. So at least four movies right there. The other piece of news is that Apple TV app is coming to Chromecast with Google TV. And this is a big win because when I initially set up my Chromecast with Google TV, I was scratching my head and I was like, no, what am I missing here over Apple TV? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm missing the Apple TV the Apple TV app. And sure enough, it's coming to Google, uh, Chromecast with Google TV. Uh, it doesn't, does it say when? It says, um, let's see, the all new uh, early next year, which, I mean, come on, that's like a long, I mean, early next year could be like any, you know, that could be like January, February, March. Why does it take so long? I mean, how long does it take to make an Apple TV app for Android? So with the Apple TV app, it's very confusing because, so a couple things you'll be able to do. You'll be able to watch Apple TV Plus stuff, you know, the stuff that needs a subscription. But you'll also be able to watch, um, you know, all the movies that you purchased in the past on Apple TV or through Apple or iTunes, whatever, you know. It gets so complicated because it's, you know, it's so, it's, it, there's too many Apple things with Apple. Everything is Apple, Apple, Apple something. Um, let's see. It says this makes Chromecast with Google TV, one of the only streaming devices with all the major video subscriptions. But I think at this point, that's, uh, kind of, that's no longer the case because now HBO max has made its way to Roku and fire TV. And I think that was the last holdout. I mean, you know, these major apps are mostly on these platforms at this point. Oh, wow. I guess that will be my new uh, new audio for the, the voicemails. Let's go to another voicemail at uh, richontech.tv slash podcast. This is from Jerry. Rick, it's Jerry Good. Heard you mention the earmuffs on your Bose headsets and showing wear signs on them. Same thing happened on my wife's. I ordered some new muffs from Amazon, and it comes with a little tool for inserting them. Hope this helps. Enjoy your podcast and your segments on KTLA. Bye now. Now, this is why I love doing a podcast with an amazing community of folks like Jerry, because I mentioned on my podcast, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, probably last week when I talked about the uh, AirPods Max headphones from Apple, that my Bose, you know, when you put them on, there's sort of like little um, little fragments of the ear muffs or whatever you call them, the pads on the ears that sort of stay on my ear because they're, they're kind of disintegrating. And he said, you know, they're on Amazon and you can get uh, you know, replacement. And why didn't I think of that? I mean, that's such a Bose replacement ear pads. I mean, so brilliant. There they are left and right. Now these are 1299. Now I will say, um, the ones, okay. The ones that came with it are extremely comfortable. And yes, they have the official ones, which are $35. 
So you can get anything as cheap as $12.99, $16.99, or you can go official and get the uh, the $35. But I love that. That was great, great voicemail. Thank you, Jerry. And um, I I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit tempted to splurge on those headphones, but I, I don't know. It's like that's it's a big that's a big investment. And I'm looking at some of the reviews and they're not like glowing. So I don't know, maybe, maybe just stick with what I got and, and go with that. All right, let's do another question here from Kathy. Hey, Rich, love your tips. I'm a longtime iPhone user. Want to upgrade to get a better camera. I'm currently using the iPhone 7. Can you suggest a next step up on getting a better camera? I don't want the Pro model, just want a better pictures and don't want to spend a bundle. Also, if I get something unlocked, does that mean AT&T, my preferred provider, can insert their SIM card? Help, Kathy in Kansas City. So Kathy, to answer your first question, I would recommend, um, I'd recommend the iPhone 12 and I would trade in the iPhone seven. You're not going to get a whole bunch for that, but I would trade that in and, um, go with that and, you know, see what the deal is there. I, you know, and, and I think that, you know, the reason I recommend the 12 is because realistically you could go with, I, I would also say the 11 is just fine as well. And the reason why I would say the 11 is because you want, um, you know, the 11 had a good camera on it. So I think that the, well, actually, I think you have to go 11 Pro. Yeah, I think you have to go, let me see here. It's been a while since I looked at this. But the, the you know, because Apple's only selling certain phones. So let's see what they're selling in the 11 lineup. They are selling, um, oh, interesting. So they're selling just the 11, not the 11 Pro. Okay, but I think the 11 will be fine. So, I mean, if you want to go with the 11, you can do that. But I would just say do a price comparison between the 12, just the standard 12 and the 11 and see how much that is. Now, when it comes to your second question, if I get something unlocked, does that mean AT&T, my preferred provider, can insert their SIM? Yes. So unlocked means that the phone will work with any carrier. But here's the thing. You don't necessarily need unlocked if you're sticking with your carrier. And if they give you a better deal... I would go with that because unlocked is good for people like me that, you know, are finicky and we switch providers and we're moving from Google Fi to, to Verizon to Sprint to T-Mobile and we're trying to, you know, we're always moving around. Not that I'm doing that often, but, you know, it's just, and it, you know, it's just nice when you sell your phone, it's easy to sell because it's unlocked. But if you're sticking with AT&T, like you said, you have an iPhone 7, which tells me you've probably had this phone for a good, you know, four years. So, uh, you know, just stick with AT&T and get their deal and see if it's better than what Apple offers you, which I think it would be. So it's if you're not moving providers, it's not a big deal to stick with the locked device to AT&T. And after a certain amount of time anyway, they will unlock it, which is generally, you know, when your contract, not that you have a contract, but like when your phone is paid off, usually that's when it is. And most people are doing their phones on a on a monthly installment anyway. So Buying unlocked doesn't really mean anything because even if you wanted to move, you couldn't because you have to pay off your phone. So I feel like if your carrier is giving you a good deal, no need to, to go the unlocked route. But yes, if you're buying from the Apple website, I would probably go the unlocked route for sure. So I hope that makes sense. All right, let's talk about third-party extensions. And this is this this confirms my fears about all these Chrome extensions that I install all the time. And I think that Google, and I, I think I heard that they're going to start kind of clamping down a little bit on these things because I think it's a big privacy hole. So when you install a lot of these extensions, it says this can read and change site data. Like what? Like you can see every website that I'm going to because I installed this extension. That shouldn't be, but it is. And so Avast, you know, they make uh, security products 
They identified malware in 28 third-party Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge extensions. And what they do is they redirect your traffic to ads or phishing sites to try to steal your information or just make money off of you. And this is what happens when you do a search and it brings you to some like googly looking site, but it's not, it's like my search, my way. And like, it's like, what? And it has all ads on the screen. And you're like, how did that happen when I just did a Google search? Well, it's a, that's malware redirecting you. So these extensions, they are all about downloading videos from various platforms, which is very popular because people are always trying to like, you know, download videos and put them on their Instagram or their Facebook page. And so a lot of these extensions piggyback on popular names like video downloader for Facebook, Vimeo video downloader, Instagram story downloader, VK on block. And, um, you know, they, they basically, you know, hijack your computer. And so, you know, some of these extensions are still available. Others have probably been taken down, but they said 3 million people have installed these. And I've got the full list on my website or I'll put it in the show notes. But the reality is this just makes me very, um, you know, wary about these, these third-party extensions. I have, I have a couple of them. I'll tell you which ones I use. I use Pocket. I use uh, Evernote. I use Print Friendly. I use Buffer. And how do I see the rest of my extensions? They like hide them. Um, Honey, Keepa, um, let's see, Grammarly. And then I have a couple that, uh, oh, Popcart, Screen Recorder, Auto scroll. See, I'm going to turn some of these off because I don't need them. But yeah, I mean, it's like one of these things that, you know, you have to, I mean, you kind of have to like be, just be aware when you put these extensions and, you know, if they get installed on your computer, you know, accidentally, that could be, you know, a problem too. And the extensions in Chrome have really greatly increased the functionality of the web browser. But at the same time, again, they are sort of a glaring security hole, I think. And I think that uh, in 2021, we're going to see Google do a lot more to make sure that stuff like this does not happen. All right, uh, let's see. Chris says, I have a question. We're looking to cancel our cable. It's $216 a month. We're looking at YouTube TV. It's 65 bucks a month. What's your thoughts on it? We moved from California to Boise three years ago, but we still watch your show. We enjoy it. Thank you, Chris. Uh, well, the thing about switching from cable to YouTube TV or any of these streaming services is that you're not going to get, you have to still pay for internet. And when you get rid of the bundle, they boost your your monthly for your internet. So if you're paying 216 a month, that is high, but you probably have everything in that bundle, I'm guessing. You probably have high-speed internet, you probably have a phone line, and you also have um, you know a top-of-the-line cable TV package that you probably don't need because you're probably not using all of it. So if you switch to YouTube TV, which I thought YouTube TV just raised prices. Let me see how much it is. Okay. Yeah. It's 65 bucks. Okay. So $65 that includes the DVR. So yeah, I mean, I love YouTube TV. I think it's one of the best out there. Um, as long as it has the channels that you want in Boise. Yeah. Now the thing is your internet is going to go up. So right now, you know, whatever you're paying for internet in that bundle, you know, whatever it's, it's just going to be more expensive. Now you might get a deal to switch to a new provider or whatever, but you're looking at, let's say another, let's just say it was 60 to 80 a month. You're still looking at only a hundred and you know 150 bucks, so you're still saving fifty dollars a month with this changeover. 
The only thing you just need to be aware of is if your local channels are available on YouTube TV, you can go to YouTube TV and type in your zip code and it will tell you that in a second. But otherwise, sure. Now, I would argue, do you even need YouTube TV? You know, with all these other services, don't forget, you have to pile those on top of this price as well. So unless you're not subscribing to Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or HBO Max, you know, yeah, that's 150. But now when you add all those in, now you're back up to 216. So to me, the idea of cutting the cord, which I did a couple of years ago, has never been about saving money because I'm, I'm still not convinced I'm saving money at this point with all the subscriptions. But what I love is that I'm in control. And so if I wanted to cancel anything, I can. And it's a matter of these services have to provide a value for me for me to continue with them. And so far, you know, so good. I mean, I, I pay for, you know, pretty much all of them at this point. Uh, Netflix, Hulu with no ads, um, Disney Plus. What else do I have? HBO Max. Um, um, right now we're doing Hallmark Channel for all their sappy Christmas movies. But, you know, again, I'm going to cancel that when Christmas is over. So for seven bucks a month, it's been great. And I feel like we've gotten our value because we've watched, you know, four movies. Of course, I'm sharing that login with several folks. <laughs> Can I say that? No, I'm not. No one does that. Um, and so, you know, it's one of these things where you just have to decide if it's worth it. I think it's worth it because of the control you get and you get a slicker interface. For me, I get my interface on either, you know, a Roku device or a Chromecast or an Apple TV, which is infinitely better than what most of the cable companies offer you. So for all those reasons, Chris, go ahead, drop the cable and uh, pick up YouTube TV. And if you don't like it, guess what? You can get rid of it and you don't have to call someone to come over to your house to do it. Story out of Apple, all the, uh, well, I guess not all the developers, but maybe some of them are going nuts, but uh, definitely Facebook, you know, these privacy labels are now on the iPhone in the App Store. So if you go into the App Store, if you select one of the apps that you like, you can scroll down and see what their privacy uh, policy is. So let's go to Snapchat. And if we scroll down, it's kind of like a nutrition facts label, but for app privacy. And so data used to track you. Contact info, identifiers, data linked to you, purchases, contact info, user content, identifiers, diagnostics, location, contact, search history, usage data. Wow. Snapchat, you know, tracks everything. And that's kind of what they're doing is bringing to light the fact that these apps, as much as we love them, you know, their business is making money. And how do they make money? By tracking the heck out of us. And that means, you know, watching everything we do on Snapchat to sort of make us use Snapchat more and also target ads to us. And that just happens with every one of these apps. And so these little nutrition facts labels for data is what it's all about. And if, you know, so the main thing is that Facebook is going kind of, you know, they're saying, look, you know, now that we have to, you know, put all this out there, it looks scary, number one. And then number two, they're saying that the, um, they're not able to, target or businesses can't buy ads and target small business or people as well as they used to be able to. And that's probably true because now on, you know, on iPhone, you can choose to not be, you know, not hand over your location, your Bluetooth, your precise location. I mean, there's a lot of privacy, um, a lot of privacy protections in place on the iPhone this year than there ever have been. And so it is, it is tough for these companies that have built their entire business on targeting ads. It makes it a lot tougher for them. And I would argue that, yeah, it's, you know, especially if you have 
a small business that you're used, you're used to targeting people in a very specialized way, it does take that away. And that is tough. But I'm not crying for Facebook. I mean, you know, they've had some privacy issues in the past. And, um, you know, I think that it's nice that Apple is, is kind of giving a wake-up call to everyone with this privacy. And we've taken it for granted for so many years on the phones that, yeah, we're all just being tracked and everything's being seen. And they've really given us a lot of the... Um, the power back to the consumer, whether a consumer chooses to use all of it is remains to be seen. And it's also very confusing. Even myself, when I get, you know, an app, it's like Google maps has been using your location in the background. Do you want to switch to just, Oh, you know, just when you're using the app and I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. Oh wait, no, no. Like there's some of these things that they write, these little warning labels are tricky. You have to really read them before you accept anything that they say, but it's nice to know that we can do that. All right, final question from Babs. Happy holidays. Is there a way to do a holiday or any other backgrounds on Zoom with an iPhone? And I uh, had to do some searching on this, but yes, there is a way to do it. And uh, you have to start a meeting in Zoom on your iPhone. So make sure that your iPhone has Zoom downloaded. You know, sign in, all that good stuff. Do new meeting, start a meeting. And then, uh, you know, you get this weird thing that says to hear others, please join audio call using internet audio, which makes no sense to me. I don't even know what that means, but that means that you're using the audio on your phone. Like you're not calling, you're just whatever weird, weird message from them. Then you go to more and it says virtual background and you've got three to choose from that are de defaults or you can add your own. And, um, let's see, I can put a nice background there done. And there you go, right on your iPhone. So it may not be every version of the iPhone software. Like if you have an older phone, it may not work because I do know that the virtual backgrounds take a little heavy lifting. So if you have like, I, I don't know, but I do know on this iPhone, which is the newest one, it does work. So there you go. Again, just open up the app and go into more and virtual background. And there you have it. All right, final story real quick. Just uh, Google Pay is Google's new app that's sort of like their Venmo slash, you know, banking app, whatever, payment to payment, person to person. But right now they're trying to get people to sign up and you can net $21 if you refer someone to the app. So if you bring a new user to the app, you get $21 and uh, the person that signed up also gets $21 as long as they spend $10 using the app. It used to be you could refer like a whole bunch of people 10 people. Now you can only do three because I guess so many people did this. So if you want an easy 21 bucks, refer a friend to this and boom. Uh, also, they have an offer at Target in the US. If you spend 50 using Google Pay at Target, you'll get $21 cash back, which is really cool. And that's awesome. It's funny. I was at the gas station the other day and I saw a, a sticker for, with a QR code for Google Pay. So clearly Google is really going all out on this mobile payment app this time because, you know, at my local gas station, it had the sticker, which is, you know, it goes to show that they're really promoting this app. The thing is, I can't sign up for it. I don't know what the problem is, but my phone number is clearly in some sort of Google limbo because when I go to sign up, it just gives me an error message every single time. And I tried both my phone numbers. My my cell phone and my Google voice, and it just didn't work. So I don't know what the deal is, but I'd like to sign up, but I can't. So I don't know. You know what that music means? It means that is going to do it for this episode of the show. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer, just go to richontech.tv slash podcast. 
and you can hit the little voicemail microphone, or of course you can send an email as well. Um, it says contact on there. Just hit that and boom, it'll get right to me. Probably won't get it till next year's show, but uh, yeah, cause this is it. This is the last show of 2020. Also, I would love it if you would rate and review this podcast to help other people discover it. You can also just go to uh, richontech.tv slash podcast and you'll see a rate button. See, everything's in one place now. How cool is that? You can also find me at Rich on Tech and I think those social media links are there as well. My name is Rich Demuro. I want to say a sincere thanks to you for listening in 2020. Um, I really do appreciate it. I have a blast doing this show. I know there's been some changes with the show over 2020, but uh, I feel like it's gotten to a really good place and I'm happy where it's at. I love the community that we've built with this show. The questions keep coming, the comments. It is so interesting to me that just as many people say when they email me that, hey, Rich, I listen to your podcast as people that say they hear me on the radio or on KTLA or some other stations that I'm on, and I just love it. So thank you so much. Have a fantastic holiday season. Hang in there. We are almost through this pandemic. I do believe that. Stay safe. I'm going to talk to you in 2021. My name is Rich DeMiro. Have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you.